From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigel with you on this Friday, October 27th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's foreign minister has met with the U.S. Secretary of State in Washington. Israel says a limited ground offensive is now underway in Gaza, and police in the U.S. are hunting for a man accused in a deadly shooting spree in Maine. In business, China's focus on high-value patents. In sports, records are falling at the Asian Para Games as they enter their second half. In culture and entertainment, highlights from the Wujen Theater Festival. Now the day's top stories. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi stressed the need for dialogue between China and the U.S. He made the remarks in a meeting with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Washington. Wang says despite disagreements and differences, China and the U.S. share important common interests and face challenges that they need to respond to together. China and the United States need to have dialogue. Not only should we resume dialogue, but dialogue should be comprehensive so that with dialogue we have increased understanding, reduced misunderstanding, constantly seek to expand common ground and pursue cooperation that will benefit both sides so that we can stabilize China-U.S. relations and return it to the track of healthy, stable and sustainable development. Chinese foreign ministers returning Blinken's visit to China from June. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is in Washington for face-to-face meetings with high-level members of President Joe Biden's cabinet. This trip follows previous visits of uh, senior U.S. officials in China, which observers suggest signals positive changes in the bilateral relationship. With more on China-U.S. ties, Gao Yingshir spoke to Joseph Nye, the former dean of Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Well, since the multi-level communication have resumed since the end of the pandemic, but signs of bilateral ties improving remains rare. So how do you evaluate this current U.S.-China relation? Well, I think that, uh, unfortunately, during the COVID period, uh, there has been inadequate communications back and forth between the two countries. It appears that that's beginning to change. We've had the visits to uh, China of important American cabinet officials, there's talk that uh, uh, President Biden and President Xi will meet at APEC. So I think things are improving uh, on that question of communications. Um, and I, I think uh, I welcome that and hope we'll see more of it. And along with the high-level official exchanges, the Chinese government is pushing for cultural and people-to-people exchanges between the two sides. And in your observation, where does the United States place those kind of exchanges between the two countries? Well, I think these uh, levels of uh, communication uh, should be at 
all levels. In other words, uh, we obviously have focused on the top level of the presidents or the cabinet officials, but I think the levels of um, uh, cultural and scientific exchanges are also important. In other words, if we're going to build a sense of trust and cooperation and use our soft power, these uh, uh, contacts uh, at the lower levels are also critically important. Right. And what expectations and recommendations do you have for the prospects of China-U.S. relations? Well, I tend to be uh, what I call a short-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. The U.S. and China do not pose existential threats to each other, and I think that uh, in the long run, uh, we're going to have uh, better relations. But in the short run, there are still differences that have to be worked out, and I can see things uh, becoming more difficult rather than uh, solved in the short run. So that's why I call myself a short-run pessimist and a long-run optimist. You had previously proposed uh, the concept of smart power. And what strengths do you think like, uh, China and United States each have in terms of smart power? Well, smart power is the ability to combine hard power of economic and military coercion with the ability to attract others. And uh, obviously... Smart power becomes very important uh, to countries. China has, on the soft power side, uh, the not only its important economic performance, um, but uh, also uh, it, its cultural attraction uh, in traditional culture. The U.S. Uh, government often does things which are unpopular, but nonetheless, its civil society remains attractive to others because it's relatively free. So I would argue that more of American uh, soft power comes from our universities, our nonprofit organizations, uh, foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, than from the Voice of America. That was Joseph Nye, former dean of Harvard Kennedy School of Government. Great Wall Climate Dialogue is wrapped up in Beijing with calls for more cooperation between China and the U.S. to combat the effects of climate change. The meeting brought together China's Minister of Ecology and Environment and some provincial leaders with California Governor Gavin Newsom. Dong Shui has details. California's Governor Gavin Newsom called for stronger climate collaboration between Beijing and Washington. China and the United States represent anywhere from 41 to 40 four percent of the world's emissions. We're never going to address the issue of climate change uh, on this planet unless the United States and China work more collaboratively together. At the Great World Climate Dialogue, he put that message to China's Minister of Ecology and Environment, Huang Renqiu, and provincial leaders. Minister Huang Renqiu echoed the need for stronger collaboration. Huang again reiterated Beijing's aim of reaching its carbon emissions peak in 2030 and carbon neutrality in 2060, adding that climate cooperation is a vital component of China's relationship with the United States. China and the U.S. started cooperation on environment and climate in the 1980s, and it's an important part of the relations. The two heads of state issued three joint statements on climate change, making historic contributions to the implementation of the Paris Agreement. Newsom highlighted that California is on the front lines of climate change, saying the hots are getting a lot hotter. He said the state also experienced record-breaking floods this year, and that's why he sees a great sense of urgency not just to identify problems, but to put concrete changes into action. Chinese President Xi Jinping told Gavin Newsom that he sees potential for collaboration with the U.S. on green development, adding that it is possible for the two countries to strengthen cooperation in areas like green development as well as climate change and to make it a new height in the development of China-U.S. relations. Echoing the positive tone, the governor of California suggested climate cooperation is one way to help improve bilateral ties. 
That was Dong Shui on California Governor Gavin Newsom's meeting with the Chinese Environment Minister in Beijing. Well, meantime, China's Ministry of Ecology and Environments published a new report on the country's actions to address the impacts of climate change. China's pledged that it'll strive to peak carbon dioxide emissions by 2030 and achieve carbon neutrality by 2060. The report states that China's carbon emissions continued to decrease in 2022. It says China's coal consumption dropped to 56 last year, while clean energy, including wind and solar power, accounted for over a quarter of China's total energy consumption. The ministry says China will work with the global community to combat climate change at next month's UN Climate Change Conference in the United Arab Emirates. As California Governor Gavin Newsom continues his week-long visit in China, aiming to forage, uh, forge stronger ties in green development and trade, his tour is also making an impact on entrepreneurs based in the renowned tech hub of the San Francisco Bay Area. And among them is Dan Ndombe, who's uh, collaborating with Chinese partners in the booming e-commerce industry. Dong Hongyu spoke with Ndombe for his perspective on the governor's visit and the future cooperation between the two sides. You've entered the e-commerce industry and teamed up with Chinese manufacturers. What makes you think that collaborating with China in this sector is crucial? Because more and more, I talk to people in China who have a lot of experience, not just in software, but in things like material design. So it's one thing to tell somebody, I want to design a screen protector, but now they are able to figure out what kind of material, what kind of chemical, what kind of, you know, sensors can be put in there to interact with your software to do this one thing. So that gap between software and manufacturing is slightly kind of getting closer. Mm -hmm. Then let's talk about Governor Newsom's visit. He made stops in different cities and toured some leading Chinese companies. What do you interpret from his tour in terms of the messages he's sending? For me, it's kind of a sign that we all see the value of neutral trust between these two economies. You might be aware that we're going to you know, soon here have elections in about a year, and we had elections you know, a few years ago. Right around that time, there was this sense of you know, kind of nationalism where everybody just kind of you know, says, we just want everything to be America, made in America, and you know, we don't want anything made in China, we don't want anything made in Mexico, whatever. That's all politics. The reality is that if we are trusting the Chinese market and the Chinese market trusts people like me, entrepreneurs, and even bigger company than mine, then there's a mutual trust and everybody's winning. So a trip for more win-win cooperation between California and China. And how does this trip impact your own businesses? Visit China, I think it's something that makes me happy because I understand that that trust is being built. And we see the value of mutual trust between uh, China and the U.S. in general. I wouldn't be surprised if one of my partner tonight, for example, mentions the fact that the Californian governor was there. You know, these aren't just relationships that we found in some backdoor website somewhere. These are relationships that are being promoted by the leader of our states who understands the value of visiting there and creating those relationships. Um, obviously, I can tell you that this makes me as an entrepreneur want to visit China too, for example, where it makes other people also want to visit China, where I go, hey, the governor was there and this is what we saw and this is what we heard. How do I push this relationship with these Chinese manufacturers to another level? Do I go there? Do I invite them here, for example, where we get to meet in person and you know spend some time and get to know each other? Then what areas do you think California and China should focus on to strengthen their cooperation in the future? Um, Looking forward to Chinese and Californian uh, relationships growing, uh, just like they have over the last 10 years and hopefully even more in the next 10 years, beyond just manufacturing and into fields like engineering and health and education, and overall a great relationship between business people here and there. That was Do Hong Yu speaking with entrepreneur Dan Ndombe, a California-based businessman specializing in e-commerce.
Chinese Premier Li Chung has called for deeper cooperation in regional security and economic recovery at the meeting of the Council of the Heads of Government of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. In his address to the meeting Thursday in Bishkek, Li urged stronger collaboration in advancing the Belt and Road Initiative and enhancing people-to-people exchanges. Premier Li reiterated China's commitment to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and highlighted the significance of regional decision-making, free from external interference. The 22nd meeting of the group's Council of the Heads of Government also included Russia, the Central Asian countries, and high-level representatives from some observer nations. In the meantime, the Chinese Premier says China-Russia cooperation is not targeted at any third party, nor will it be disturbed by any third party. Li Chung made the remarks during his meeting with Russian Prime Minister uh, Mikhail Mishustin in Kyrgyzstan. He said the recent meeting between the two heads of state has charted a new blueprint and opened up a new vision for the advancement of bilateral relations. Li noted that China is willing to further align its development strategies with Russia, promote synergy between the Belt and Road Cooperation and the Eurasian Economic Union, deepen cooperation in the fields of trade, investment, and energy, and push forward the China-Russia Comprehensive Strategic Partnership of Coordination for a New Era. Ms. Houston says bilateral relations are at an unprecedented high level, and Russia stands ready to deepen cooperation with China within the SEO, BRICS, and other multilateral platforms. Li Chung also met with Iran's first vice president, the Mongolian prime minister, and the Tajik prime minister. The recent Belt and Road Forum in Beijing marked the start of a new era in China's efforts to build what it calls a global community with a shared future. For Kenya, it was a special moment because the country is marking six decades of formal diplomatic relations with China. And Juliet Njiao reports. This year, Kenya marked six decades of formal diplomatic relations with China. And within this time frame, the two countries have collaborated under the Belt and Road Initiative that include financing of the Nairobi Eastern and Northern Bypass Project, the Nairobi Southern Bypass, and the Mombasa, Nairobi, and Nairobi Naivasha Standard Gauge Railway Projects. Don't take for granted that uh, over the last 60 years, we have built a very solid uh, relationship at every stage, improving it and making it better. And my coming to China this time round is a confirmation of our commitment to elevate this relationship. President William Ruto, who was on a three-day state visit in Beijing for the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation Summit, also met with Kenya-China Investors Roundtable in Beijing and signed deals worth 63 billion Kenya shillings covering ICT, pharmaceuticals and engineering sectors. Kenya signed an agreement with China's Energy International Group. The agreement underscores Kenya's commitment to strengthening its relations with China and advancing the development of its energy infrastructure. Kenya is a great champion of renewable energy, and that is why our grid is almost 93% renewable. And that is a deliberate decision that we, we made as a country. And I am very happy that you have technologies that can work with us to leverage on our renewable energy assets. The signing of this agreement represented a substantial stride towards realizing Kenya's ambition of enhancing its energy infrastructure, a crucial component for nation's economic advancement. People like Ivory Cairo are hoping that the New Deal will help the country modernize its power systems. The reason this agreement is very important is because it solely focuses on energy infrastructure in the country and this infrastructure is expected to improve power stability and it's expected to modernize power systems in the country so in a nutshell what this agreement will do is that it will improve reliability of the structures it will modernize the structures and it will also improve efficiency of the energy structures remember we have more or less six years to achieve the SDGs. Kenya also continued to look for more opportunities to even trade between the two countries by exploring possibilities for exports.
Industry insider Irene Ngetich is expecting to see a larger variety of Kenyans' exports to China. President Ruto's visit to China is very significant for Kenya and its people, and more so in providing the Kenyan people a chance to access China's vast market. Kenya needs to explore more goods for exports, other than the traditional ones, you know, tea, coffee, flowers, and textile. And President Ruto mentioned they are exploring possibilities in livestock that is beef and leather products, which is great. The Third Belt and Road Forum marked a new era for Kenya. The commencement of a new phase focused on international engagement with an emphasis on cultural exchange, economic cooperation, or diplomatic outreach. The development reflects a period characterized by ambitious endeavors, cutting-edge technology, and refined skills underlying a momentous era of progress and purpose between the two states. For Beijing Hour, I am Juliet Njau from Nairobi, Kenya. And coming up, Israel's launched what it calls a limited ground offensive in Gaza. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. At 19 minutes past the hour, the Israeli military says it's deployed a limited ground offensive into Gaza. The targeted raid is seen as the biggest ground attack in the past 20 days. The Palestinian health ministry has reported over 7,000 deaths since the conflict began. And Israel says over 1,400 have been killed on their side. In the meantime, Russia's news agencies cited the foreign ministry as saying that a delegation from Hamas visited Moscow on Thursday for talks on the release of foreign hostages, including Russian citizens. Concerns are mounting that a wider conflict is on the horizon amid a large military buildup on the Israeli border with Lebanon. Sarah Coates has more from Tel Aviv. The IDF does say that it conducted what it's calling a relatively large incursion into the northern part of the Gaza Strip, saying that these troops are now back on the Israeli side of the Gaza border. Now, the military spokesperson for the IDF, he's come out to say that we eliminated terrorists, neutralized threats, dismantled explosives and neutralized ambushes in order to enable the next stage of the war for ground forces. Now, this came after the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu addressed the nation overnight saying that this operation will happen, calling Hamas operatives dead men walking. Now, Benny Gantz, who is uh, the opposition leader and one of the members of this war cabinet, he has said that stability and safety, security may not be restored in these southern communities for at least a few years. He has issued a warning at the group operating in Lebanon, Hezbollah, saying uh, do not open an additional front in the north. The IDF is a strong shield on the entire northern border, adding that Hezbollah is being hit hard. This is how it will continue. It will be smart for our enemies to back off. Reports coming in that Israel has been uh, pressured by the United States as the US tries to bring in more aerial defense systems amid real fears of a wider spillover in the region. And uh, with this massive buildup that's being seen there on the Gaza border, it uh, certainly seems like it must happen soon. But like people here, let me tell you, they are pretty worried, they are pretty frightened given the chance that Hezbollah and other Iranian proxies uh, could get involved. And that was Sarah Coates reporting. Palestinian foreign minister has condemned Israel's offensive and called for a ceasefire. Riyad al-Maliki said Israel is waging a war of revenge for the total destruction of Gaza. He made the comment during his recent visit to La Hague in the Netherlands, where he met top officials at the International Criminal Court. The United Nations agency that supports Palestinian refugees says at least a million people have fled their homes in Gaza in just one week following an Israeli order for people to evacuate from northern Gaza to the south. About hundreds of thousands of Palestinian families have defied the order and chosen to stay. Noor Harazin has more. Fuad Ayad is a Palestinian Christian from Gaza. His home was destroyed by Israeli airstrikes on the southern Arimal neighborhood forcing him to evacuate to his church, St. Pervilius in central Gaza City. The church has also come under attack, and it's located in an area under Israeli evacuation orders, but Ayad refuses to flee south. 
There are no safe places, whether mosques, churches, or hospitals. Wherever you go or look, you find destruction. My family and I were not displaced because I didn't find a safe place to go. Last night was a dark night. Me and my family didn't sleep. I'm afraid for my daughter, not myself. I want a safe place for my daughter and my wife. The Ashifa Hospital complex has become a refugee camp for thousands of Palestinian families. They have brought mattresses, blankets, and pillows, taking shelter in what they believe is the safest place in Gaza. Rahim Daher uses his car as a storage and a kitchen for the supplies he managed to take with him when evacuating. Daher and his 20 family members have taken shelter in the street oppose the Ashifa hospital. We've turned into beggars. We are running after the water truck to fill up on water to drink. This is not life. Where will we go in the south? We have no relatives there, so we prefer to stay here so we can find people to help us if we need to borrow money to buy food. Everyone in the south is no better off than us anyway. The Gaza Strip is home to 2.3 million people living in an area covering 365 square kilometers. The scale of the Israeli strikes on Gaza has made it unsafe to live in, no matter where people flee to. That was Noor Harazin reporting from Gaza. The Gaza Strip is facing a dire humanitarian situation. The United Nations Relief and Works Agency says that the territory is running out of fuel and relief workers are rationing supplies. Well, meantime, the World Health Organization confirms there have been reports of chickenpox in the area. Here's WHO spokesperson Tarek Yarosevich with an update. There is a big need for fuel right now in Gaza. Uh, not only uh, to run generators that provide electricity to hospitals, but also for desalination plants. So there could be a clean water for the population, but also for the health facilities. Uh, simply, you cannot run hospitals without electricity. You cannot not have light in your, in your hospital. And, and there are surgical theaters, uh, there are incubators, there are uh, dialysis machines, there are uh, other, other machines that simply need electricity. So this is why uh, when we say uh, fuel is equally important as medical supplies like medicines uh, and, uh, and medical material, because simply we need these hospitals to continue to provide medical care to all those who are injured, but not only to them, to pregnant women, to people with chronic diseases, people uh, who are uh, doing uh, a cancer treatment, uh, newborns. So there is a really big number of people from uh, mostly vulnerable groups in the population who need hospitals and health centers to keep running. However, right now, there are 12 out of 35 hospitals that are out of service and others are really a rationing little fuel that they have. That was a WHO spokesperson speaking about the humanitarian situation in Gaza. Well, China's special envoy to the Middle East says the country is ready to maintain coordination with Saudi Arabia to promote a fair resolution to the Palestine question. Jai Jun met with Saudi Arabian Deputy Foreign Minister Walid al-Kharaji in his latest talks with a flurry of regional diplomats on a tour of the region. He says restarting the Palestinian-Israeli peace talks on the basis of the two-state solution is the only pragmatic path out of the vicious cycle of the conflict. He urged efforts for an end to hostilities to create conditions for a political settlement. Al-Kharaji says that Saudi Arabia appreciates China's long-term, fair, and just stance on the Palestine question and is willing to work with China to promote peace and stability in the region. An extensive manhunt's underway in the U.S. following a mass shooting in Maine that killed 18 people. Local police have ordered residents of Lewiston to stay indoors. The suspect, identified as 40-year-old U.S. Army reservist Robert Card, remains at large and is considered armed and dangerous. Yellow App Daffod has more. Early evening in Lewiston and people are trying to escape from locations near where two shootings have been reported. A lone gunman attacked a restaurant and a bowling alley. And in all too familiar scenes, police cars and ambulances rush to help victims. Police guard a local hospital as an intensive manhunt was launched with hundreds of officers searching an area in the northeast of the United States. State and local police released a photograph of 40-year-old Robert Card saying he was considered dangerous. 
He is a certified arms instructor and a member of the US Army Reserves. People were warned not to approach him. Outside the main hospital in the area, relatives have been waiting anxiously for any news. President Biden has been briefed and the federal government has promised whatever support is needed. For now, a shelter-in-place order has been issued for residents in Lewiston and the nearby town of Lisbon. A small city of 38,000 people in Maine has been added to a long list of places in the United States to have suffered from a mass shooting. That was Yolo App Daffod reporting. We're at 28 minutes past the hour, Beijing down to 7 degrees overnight. It'll be sunny in 23 on Saturday. Chongqing's 14 with a light rainfall this evening. The rain continues through the day tomorrow in 19. Last is down to 2 overnight, cloudy in 14 tomorrow. Hong Kong's 25 this evening and showers in 28. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 12 degrees overnight, a slight rain in 22 on Saturday. Islamabad's at 11 this evening, then cloudy in 31. Bangkok's down to 25 degrees, then rainfall in 32. In Africa, Nairobi will get a light rain and 27 degrees tomorrow. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 13 with a light rainfall this evening. Saturday's overcast in 20. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's foreign minister has met with the U.S. Secretary of State in Washington. Israel says a limited ground offensive is now underway in Gaza. And police in the U.S. are hunting for a man accused in a deadly shooting spree in Maine. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An General Railway Company, Deutsche Director of the International the Climate. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Friday. Still to come. In business, China's focus on high-value patents. In sports, records are falling at the Asian Para Games as they enter their second half. In culture and entertainment, highlights from the Wujen Theatre Festival. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. But first of all, today's headline news, and here's Wang Zihang. Thanks, Jane. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has stressed the need for dialogue between China and the United States. He made the remarks in a meeting with U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken in Washington. Wang said, despite disagreements and differences, China and the U.S. share important common interests and face challenges that they need to respond to together. China and the United States need to have dialogue. Not only should we resume dialogue, but dialogue should be comprehensive so that with dialogue we have increased understanding, reduced misunderstanding, constantly seek to expand common ground and pursue cooperation that will benefit both sides so that we can stabilize China-U.S. relations and return it to the track of healthy, stable and sustainable development. The Chinese foreign minister is returning Blinken's visit to China in June. Clashes have broken out in the Southeast Asian nation of Myanmar. Local media says several military positions came under the attack of ethnic armed groups, including in Shan State. The Chinese foreign ministry says it is closely monitoring the situation and calling for an immediate ceasefire. 
Former Chinese Premier Li Keqiang has died of a heart attack in Shanghai. He was 68. Li also served as member of the Standing Committee of the Political Bureau of the 17th, 18th, and 19th Communist Party of China Central Committees. The U.S. has struck two Syrian facilities after attacks by Iranian-backed forces. A senior U.S. official says the strikes took place near the Syrian town of Abu Kamal on the border with Iraq. This follows a message by U.S. President Joe Biden to Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, a warning against strikes targeting U.S. troops in the Middle East. The White House earlier said that it was a direct message related to Iran and declined to elaborate. The Pentagon says U.S. and its allied forces in Iraq and Syria have been attacked at least 16 times this month amid tensions in the Middle East. It blamed Iranian-backed militia groups for the attacks. Media reports say at least six people were wounded in a blast early Friday in the Egyptian resort town of Taba, near the Israeli border. A rocket is reported to have fallen on the town, damaging a residential building. No one has yet claimed responsibility for the attack. Talks between leaders of Serbia and Kosovo have broken off, despite pressure from the European Union to persuade the two sides to normalize their relations. Serbian President Aleksandar Vučić and Kosovo Prime Minister Alban Kurti met in Brussels with the leaders of France, Germany, and Italy, and two EU officials. As with previous rounds of talks, both men blamed each other for the deadlock. Speaking after the talks, EU Foreign Minister. EU Foreign Policy Chief Joseph Borrell urged the leaders to resume talks and reach an agreement. At the end, we require the parties to seriously engage on the normalization process that can only be done in the framework of the dialogue, because it is the only way for them to advance on the European path. We will continue insisting and working in order to get an agreement, but today, unhappily, it has not been possible. Without, as I said, preconditions from each party that were unacceptable for the other. The meeting was held amid fears of resumption of violence that has marked bilateral ties since Kosovo unilaterally broke away from Serbia in 2008. Delegations of Sudan's warring factions have arrived in Saudi Arabia ports, Saudi Arabia's port city Jeddah, for a new round of negotiations. The Sudanese army says they hope to facilitate the humanitarian work and the return of citizens and normal life through the talks. But it also stressed that the resumption of talks does not mean they will stop fighting against paramilitary ISF. The ISF has expressed willingness to reach a peaceful settlement of the conflict. Since May the sixth, Saudi Arabia and the United Nations, United States have been facilitating talks between the Sudanese warring parties in Jeddah. Several truces have been reached and breached since then, with the two sides accusing each other of violating the deals. The Mexican government says Hurricane Otis has killed at least 27 people, with four more still missing. The Category 5 storm hit the country and hammered the beach resort of Acapulco, causing damage running into billions of dollars. Mexican authorities say Otis is the most powerful storm ever to strike Mexico's Pacific coast. More than 8,000 soldiers are assisting in cleanup efforts. Malaysia has named Sultan Ibrahim Sultan Iskandar as the country's 17th king. He is also the ruler of the southern state of Johor. The king plays a largely ceremonial role in Malaysia, but the analysts say the monarchy has become more influential in recent years due to prolonged political instability. Pakistan International Airlines says it has cancelled nearly 350 flights in the last two weeks due to a shortage of fuel. The country's flagship carrier says the cancellations have affected domestic and international routes. The airline and the Pakistan. State oil company have been locked in a dispute over payments. PIA said the oil company has suspended the airline's credit line for fuel and is now releasing supplies only against a daily advance payment. PIA said flights are resuming on a daily basis, but didn't give further details. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zhang with the headline news. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's focus on high-value patents. <laughs> Wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. 
Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 37 minutes past the hour. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher on Friday. Chini has more. Chinese stocks rose and were on a track for a fourth straight hike after profits at industrial firms extended gains in September, while policy measures also helped sentiment. The Shanghai Composite Index ended the day 0.99 percent higher, while the Shenzhen component gained more than 2 percent. And the China X actually outperformed, rising as much as 3.3 percent before slipping a little to close 2.9 percent higher. Now, sector-wide shares in healthcare and automobiles surged. Shares of Chinese EV battery giant. CATL rose 3.7 percent, its biggest one-day percentage rise since June 15th. State media Securities Times reported that more than 30 Chinese-listed companies, including Gri Electric and Guertech, vowed to buy back shares or increase stakes in their firms late yesterday. So their shares all performed quite well. That was market analyst Chin Yi in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was up over 2 percent. In Japan, the Nikkei gained nearly 1.3 percent. Chinese authorities say they'll increase the number of high-value patents in industry to support the development of the real economy. Official data shows that in 2022, the rate of effective patents in China reached a five-year high of nearly 37 percent. The National Intellectual Property Administration says there's still room for growth by organizing and implementing a three-year special action. Authorities say they hope to improve the environment for innovative growth in the country and strengthen protection of intellectual property rights. Official data shows that China's major industrial firms saw their profits surge nearly 12 percent in September from the same period last year. In the first nine months, the combined profits of major industrial firms, with annual main business revenue of at least 20 million yuan, or roughly 2.7 million U.S. dollars, surpassed 5.4 trillion yuan.、Uh, the number was down 9 percent on a yearly basis, with the pace of decline narrowing by 2.7 points from the first eight months. And for more on the latest industrial profit numbers. Michael Wang spoke with Jimmy、uh, Ju,、uh, chief strategist at Fullerton Research. Jimmy, thank you for joining us. So, first of all, give us the big picture. Break down the numbers for us. What stood out to you in China's latest industrial profit numbers? Well, the industrial profit number shows the recent policy stimulus program may already have、um, some impact on the economy, and、uh, what we see the reduce in produce prices also likely to further ease. This is very important for the industry because、um, when the reduce in, in the producer prices coming, so more companies are willing to invest. And there's one very shining point actually in today's、uh, segment is the ferrous metals melting. We see a big jump in this.、Uh, In these、uh, sectors, so that that might、um, signal that the property market now already has some pickup sign, and、uh, the housing sales also may already warming. And also, the electronic-related companies' profits are very strong. This is a new、um, growth engine for China, so this is likely to continue carry out. But、uh, what we see, the textile are still a bit lagging, so which means the consumption demand. Probably a bit too soft at this moment, which might prompt the government to further produce some measures、uh, to promote some measures to spur the demand in the consumptions. Yeah, and I'm wondering if you can、uh, expand a little bit more for us on the demand picture here in China, Jimmy, because industrial profits swing back to growth in Q3 on a quarterly basis compared to Q2 and Q1. Give us some more details in terms of the recovery in the market demand here in China with the latest industrial profit numbers, especially, I guess, under this backdrop of a more volatile and slower global growth environment. Right. The first, the global. Global environment is likely to carry on, given the Federal Reserve rates and also some other central bank rates are still very high.、Um, the global manufacturing PMI also a bit weak at this moment, which means have,、uh, which means that for the next year, the growth is、uh, likely to、um, driven by the domestic demand. And the positive sign is what we see the retail sales is already start to pick up in the middle of、uh, third quarter. It's a very important sign because it shows that consumers' confidence is is already back.、Uh, but what we see, the manufacturing is still、uh, a bit slow. But、uh, probably the PMI data will be still above 50、uh, next week because of the industrial profit are still very strong.、Um, uh, what we see is the fiscal stimulus now is playing a very big role, especially when the 
uh, when the nation, when the policy makers announced the one trillion um, student, uh, stimulus. I think uh, there's some more to come for next year to support the local demand. That was Jimmy Ju, chief strategist at Fullerton Research, offering his insights on China's latest industrial profit numbers. Official data shows that China's uh, energy storage products, such as lithium batteries, have been hot sellers in the global market, fueled by green energy transition and mushrooming demand. In Ningbo, Zhejiang province, overseas orders for some energy storage products have been rising, and some types of batteries even sold out. In some factories, production lines of battery workshops for household and commercial products are running at full capacity. Currently, our products are mainly sold to Italy. Our clients there are in urgent demand, so employees are working overtime to catch up with the amount. This year, both our delivered volume and newly added orders have increased nearly three times from last year. We predict that by the end of this year, we can deliver 5 gigawatt hours in the international market, and the new order is expected to exceed 12 gigawatt hours. In the first three quarters, Ningbo's exports of lithium battery products grew significantly, especially in emerging markets. For instance, lithium battery products exported to South Africa during the nine months rose more than 17-fold. Industry data shows that the number of energy storage-related enterprises in China has reached 129,000. That's a yearly increase of around 63%. United Auto Workers Unions reached a tentative contract agreement with Ford Motor Company. The four-year deal includes major pay raises for Ford workers. And it could pave the way for ending the six-week strike against all three of Detroit's big automakers. Hendrik Brandy has more. Word of the tentative agreement spread along the picket line on Wednesday night outside Ford's Michigan assembly plant in Detroit. Employees appear ready to get back to work. I'm ecstatic. I can't believe it, to be honest. So I'm just super excited. United Auto Workers Union President Sean Fain called it a major victory. For months, we've said that record profits mean record contracts. And UAW family, our stand-up strike has delivered. The targeted walkout at a handful of Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis facilities began on September 15th. It was the first time a strike had hit the three automakers all at once. After years of stagnant wages in the wake of the Great Recession, workers are looking for significant pay increases at a time when the companies are thriving. So, you know, we want to get our members off the picket lines and back to work building the greatest product in America. but. We want our fair share. We're not going to continue going backwards as we have been the last 20 plus years. The union first demanded a 40% increase in pay over four years. The company said given their investment in the transition to electric vehicles and increasing global competition, that was simply too much. It should be Ford and the UAW versus Toyota, Honda, Tesla, and all the Chinese companies that want to enter our home market. The talks were acrimonious at times. Earlier this week, the strike escalated with a walkout at a Stellantis plant that builds Ram pickup trucks. This is one of their top plants. It's sending a message that we're, we, want, we want equal pay, we want equal rights for our people. We're not going to keep playing. So we're going to shut down your bread and butter. Finally, on Wednesday, Ford and its employees came together on a four-year deal that will lift pay over 30% once cost of living increases are taken into account. The union also won a series of improvements in benefits. And for the first time, workers will have the right to strike over any future Ford plans to close factories. The agreement could be a template for deals at the other two companies, as has happened with auto strikes in the past. Hopefully GM and Stellantis can get their deals done. And then that's, I don't know really what else to say, just historic day for us, that's for sure. The new agreement must still be ratified. In the meantime, UAW has called on Ford employees to drop their picket signs and return to their jobs. That was Hendrik Cybrandi reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, records are falling as the Asian Paragames enter their second half. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world.
6.47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. We start with the Hangzhou Asian Para Games. Five world records were broken on Thursday as the Games entered its second half. China also secured their third consecutive title in women's wheelchair basketball. Chinese veteran Wang Hao clinched his ninth gold medal at the Asian Para Games after winning the 100m T47. He added to his three gold medals from 2014 and five from 2018, making him the most successful men's athlete in athletics at the Asian Para Games. China's Wen Xiaoyan set a new world record in the women's 100m T37 with 12.59 seconds. China beat Thailand 1-0 in the blind men's football preliminaries. With four wins from four outings, China tops the group with 12 points and a clean sheet. With 39 gold medals on Thursday, China now leads the medal tally with a total of 393, including 157 golds, 128 silvers and 108 bronze. Rehearsals for the closing ceremony are well underway for what has been a sensational 2023 Hangzhou Asian Para Games. Ceremony Chief Director Xiao Xiaolan explains what fans can expect to see. When the fire of the main cauldron is going out, there will be a narrator there describing the process to the visual impaired children. Let them feel the fire dying out and feel that warm moving movement. Then there will be a boat carrying the children to the 3D sky and to the torch. We hope every kid can have a dream and all of us can enjoy the final moments of the ceremony. Three performances and short films are expected during the ceremony. Technology and traditional Chinese culture will also feature heavily during the event. The 2023 Rugby World Cup final is taking place in Paris this weekend. Two of the game's most successful sides will clash as defending champion South Africa take on New Zealand. Both sides will have claimed three World Cup titles each. The winner of this clash will create history becoming the first team to secure a fourth title. South Africa has reinstalled 2019 winners Faf de Klerk and Andre Pollard at 9 and 10 respectively. They have also reverted to a 7 forwards 1 back split on the bench, a risky move in the eyes of many. Coach Ian Foster has made just one change to New Zealand starting 15. Brody Retallick will be in the second row in place of Sam Whitelock who drops to the bench. Expect to see a bruising battle and a clash of styles in this historic match. While there are a host of thrilling European club football matches to look forward to this weekend, two fixtures stand out above all the rest. In La Liga, Barcelona face Real Madrid in another El Clasico encounter, while in the English Premier League, United and City clash in the Manchester derby. Barcelona has rarely struggled with injuries this season and there are still doubts over the fitness of a few key players for this match. Madrid has been sweating over the fitness of Jude Bellingham, but the in-form England midfielder appears to be ready to play. United has found form and confidence going into the derby, with underfire players like Harry Maguire and Andre Onana starring in their recent 1-0 win against Copenhagen in the Champions League. City's Erling Haaland has found goal-scoring form again, so we can expect to see plenty of goalmouth action in this traditionally fiery game. China lost 2-1 to North Korea in Group B of the 2024 Olympic Women's Football Asian Qualifiers on Thursday. The scores were level until the 76th minute when North Korea grabbed the winner. Group B's other match on Thursday saw South Korea triumph 10-1 over Thailand. On Sunday, China will play Thailand while North Korea will face South Korea. According to tournament regulations, three group winners and the best runner-up will advance to the final stage of the Asian Qualifiers. Lewis Hamilton believes more cars other than just his and Ferrari's Charles Leclerc would have been disqualified from the United States Grand Prix. He says if scrutineers had checked more than four cars after the race, they would have found more evidence of plank wear. Hamilton lost his second place finish in Austin last weekend after the skid blocks on his Mercedes were found to have worn too thin. Leclerc's Ferrari, which had finished sixth, fell foul of the same regulation. Due to the nature of FIA's long-standing random spot check policy on certain areas of cars for rules compliance, only four cars were checked for plank wear after the race, with half of them failing. Formula One action will be in Mexico City this weekend. And finally, there is an interesting boxing matchup taking place this weekend that has grabbed the headlines in recent weeks. 
World heavyweight boxing champion Tyson Fury will clash with former UFC world heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou. In the build-up to the clash, Ngannou has done a lot to prepare for a new style of fighting for him. His trainers have included the likes of boxing legend Mike Tyson. Ngannou is also a friend of footballing superstar Cristiano Ronaldo. The pair met up this week in Riyadh where the fight is taking place and where Ronaldo is based with Saudi Pro League club Al Nasser. During the meeting, Ronaldo gifted Ngannou a 134,000 US dollar watch with the CR7 brand on the piece to wish him luck for his fight. Thank you very much. And that was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, highlights from the Wujin Theatre Festival. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 minutes past the hour. Turning to culture and entertainment now, and Yang Guang joins us now. Thank you, Shane. The Wujian Theatre Festival, which has a sizzling lineup including 11 days of plays, will wrap up this weekend. Wang Xuan earlier spoke with Meng Jinghui, the co-founder of the festival, on the highlights of this year's event. Let's talk about your bond with Wujin. Wujin Theatre Festival celebrates its 10th anniversary. And what were your feelings after this decade-long journey? To be honest, I didn't think about 10 years later at the beginning. Wujin Theatre Festival has received so much attention and care from so many people, especially young people, who are willing to start their theatre journey at this festival. You find this place is full of small bridges and flowing water, delicious food, singing, and laughter. Then you walk into the theater. You're completely immersed in drama's ocean. It seems like it's not common in our daily life. But when it happens, you take the chance. Then you feel it's so beautiful. This year's theme is a rise, signifying a new start after a decade-long journey, and help us understand the word a rise. In fact, I think it is beginning. Ten years is not an end. It is a beginning. When it began, it started standing and walking. So I think a rise is quite meaningful. You have produced new plays over the past two years, such as 24 Hours in a Woman's Life. What are your reflections and thoughts during this period? And how do you handle different voices after creating something new? In fact, I didn't think too much about it. I used my own habits to do dramas. I studied in the Chinese department when I was in college. As a graduate student, I studied directing, focusing on experimental theater exploration, and then I went to National Theater of China and started my creation. One of my personal characteristics is willingness to fool around on stage. But from another perspective, I want to do something unusual. I am willing to work with my team to create something unique of our own. What is finally presented may be fancy language or vibrant stage work, but most important is what we want to pursue behind the scenes. Where do we come from in this world? Where are we going and what is our future? In fact, we want to get an answer from our own hearts through the poetic things that we can create on stage. That was Wang Xuan speaking with Meng Jinhui, the co-founder of the Wujin Theatre Festival. Archaeologists have discovered an array of ancient chariots in Xi'an, Shanxi province from the time of China's first emperor. The discovery includes a four-wheeled wooden chariot and a rare six-sheep carriage. They were discovered near the mausoleum of Emperor Qin Shi Huang of Qing Dynasty more than 2,200 years ago. This finding also provides fresh insights into early burial practices during that era. The four-wheeled wooden chariot, complete with an ornate rectangular um, um, umbrella, remains well-preserved. It's the earliest of its kind found in China and invaluable primary source material for the study of large burial vehicles. Traditional dances from Greece have captivated audiences at Chaoyang Park in Beijing as part of a culture and arts festival between China and the Central and Eastern Europe. 
The performances displayed various aspects of Greek culture from generation to generation. Along with the performances, videos showcase the beauty of Western Peloponnese, the birthplace of the Olympic Games, and informational materials were available. And finally, one of Russia's oldest musical institutions, the Mariinsky Theatre Symphony Orchestra, has dazzled Chinese audiences in Beijing under the baton of renowned conductor Valery Gergiev. The show marked the first international mega orchestra to perform at the newly established Beijing Performing Arts Center. The artists delivered a night to remember with classic compositions such as Ruslan and Lyudmila Overture. Right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with Culture and Entertainment. We're at 58 past the hour and Beijing's down to 7 degrees this evening. It'll be sunny with a high of 23 degrees on Saturday. Chongqing's 14 with a light rain this evening. The rain continues through the day tomorrow. The high is 19. Last is down to plus 2. It's cloudy and 14 tomorrow. Hong Kong's 25 this evening and showers in 28. Elsewhere, Tokyo, 12 degrees overnight, a slight rainfall and 22 degrees on Saturday. Islamabad's down to 11, then cloudy and 31. Bangkok's 25 this evening, then rainfall and 32. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a light rain and 27 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 13 with a slight rain this evening. It's overcast and 20 tomorrow. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China's foreign ministers met with the U.S. Secretary of State in Washington. And Israel says a limited ground offensive is now underway in Gaza. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.